Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Remember all that talk Sunday night about how the Lakers finally found themselves in the fourth quarter against the Pistons. Remember that. All that talk. They've got it. They found it. That's what they've been looking for. Remember all that talk? Neither do I. And I'm guessing they don't either. Remember all that talk that the alleged title contenders found something that worked in that comeback against the, let me check my notes here, four-win Pistons. And that LeBron getting ejected from that game and trailing Detroit by double digits and coming back to win was going to be such a great thing. Remember when they were going to be the new Lakers come Sunday. Yeah, well, the same old Lakers showed up against the Knicks last night. Bing bong! Here's a two-by-four to the chicklets. Here's Julius Randle bodying AD. And here's Mr. Don't Google killing you from deep. It's another shot, another three, and another hit. A timeout taken by L.A. and Frank Vogel. Two threes put up and in by Evan Fournier. Mr. Don't Google knocking that one in. You know that whole thing about we're a new team. We're different. Yeah, yeah. now we're down 10 nothing to start the game. And it only got worse. They fell behind by 25 in the first half. Found it, then lost it. Grand opening, grand closing. They were getting beat from deep. And they were getting beat over the top. Nice shot outside, put up and in. Wayne Ellington, who is 34% from three. And at the other end, Toppin was climbing. And puts it through. Nice feed. And yes, I'm well aware that LeBron was suspended. And I'm well aware that AD was sick. I know, shocking. And that Russ always has a slow start to the season. I know all that. I just don't really care. Because that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is what Russ himself had to say after the game. Listen to this. He wasn't playing hard enough. Simple. Quote. We weren't playing hard enough. Simple. We weren't playing hard enough. Simple. Man, that is the truth. Last night was not about LeBron not being there or about AD being sick. It was about guys not playing hard enough. I mean, that doesn't mean that if they played harder, all their problems would be solved because they wouldn't. There's still some real problems with that roster. But playing hard is like the so-called great deodorant. And right now, Slider, you stink. Slider, you stink. Lakers, you stink. Spider, you stink. Fact. Even Lakers. Slider. You stink, man. You stink. Even when they made a run in the second half, Emmanuel quickly killed them time and time and time again. The shot clock at five. And the ball jarred free. Quickly triple. Yes! Quickly with a three. Rolls in good. Quickly got it. Another basket. It's a three. Emmanuel quickly hitting from outside. Emmanuel quickly. Late first round pick. Another three. And good. He got another one. Ringing him up from outside. Lakers, you stink. Slider, you stink. Listen, I know that they try to get serious in the second half, but given LeBron's point the other day about, while it's not time to panic, they do need to show or start playing with a sense of urgency. How were they not playing with a sense of urgency from the very jump? 
I can answer that question. Lakers, you stink. Let me tell you something. You stink. I understand the issues of chemistry. I understand that meshing is going to take some time. All these things take time, but busting your ass does not. You don't need time together to do that. You just do it. And these guys don't. And it's not me questioning their effort. It's Russ questioning their effort. Getting beat is one thing, but not going as hard as you can from the second you hit the floor is another. Like, that's inexcusable. Wait, have you got someplace else you'd rather be? Do you have something else you'd rather be doing when you're actually on the floor? I mean, get the hell out of here with that. They're not back. They're back to doing the bullcrap things that makes them a sub-500 team. That's what they are right now. They're not back. They're back to being under 500. And I don't want to hear about how it's the fourth game of the road trip. You're playing in Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. And everybody is looking at you. Everybody is questioning you. Everybody is mocking you. There's even a few people going, Lakers, you stink. You stink. And you still no-show in the first half? You still have nothing to prove? You still are going to show up and half-ass it for half the game. I mean, it's, it's inexcusable, especially for a team and an organization that allegedly was going all in and was all about the ring this year. Believe me, right about now, right about now, you look way more lottery than you do Larry O. Laker car flags are getting snapped into all over this town this morning. And you know what's lamer than thinking they somehow got right against the Pistons? A team that they beat that was a four-win team? Congratulations. It didn't even look good doing it. You got right in that game? Man, that was no wake-up call. No one's going to look back on that huge win over the four-win Pistons and say that's the moment it all changed. That's when our season turned. Because nothing has changed. They're just not a good team. They're not a good team. That's just a fact. I'm not saying that they're the worst team in the league, although I wish I were, and I wish not, they not were. Good. Then at least they'd be giving me the F that I want. You know, give me an A or give me an F, but this C minus, D plus bullcrap isn't doing jack for anybody. Then again, when LeBron's not on the floor, they are an F. Just a bunch of randos who have about as much chemistry as some lunchtime run at the local Y. Like, their spacing is a joke. Their communication on defense is even worse. I mean, I can go on and on. They're 9 and 10. They're exactly what the record says they are. A big-ass disappointment so far. And yes, I am well aware that they're built for May and June and that November really doesn't matter very much to them at all. <laughs> and they sure as hell are playing like it, right? Just don't come back. Don't tell me that a comeback win on a bad Pistons team and a flash or two against the Knicks means that it's okay. They're back. It's going to be fine. It doesn't mean that. And I'm not going to say all of this is on Russ, but there is definitely a trend there. Like, this was the guy that was brought in to bail out the Lakers when LeBron and AD were not on the floor. The guy who could carry the offensive load. That's why they brought this guy in. Last night, LeBron was out, AD was sick, and Russ was brutal. In the first half, 
one for five from the field, six points, five turnovers. And even though he had to know, had to know that the media was going to ask him about that, he still got prickly when it came up. It's funny you mentioned turnovers. I haven't heard you ask me that question about five games. You know why? Yes, Russ, we know why. We do know why. Because you had 12 turnovers in the previous four games. That's good. People are not going to ask you about your turnovers when you're not turning it over. But they will ask you when you turn it over as much as you did last night. I mean, come on, Russ. Do better than that. Do better on the floor on a consistent basis. And do better in owning it when you don't play well. Do better when reporters are just doing their job. If you turn it over that many times, you know you're going to be asked about it. You probably should have a better answer locked and loaded. In fact, I'll even give it to you. I will even give you the answer. The answer is, I need to play better. The answer is, I need to do a better job of taking care of the ball. The answer is not, hey, how come this didn't come up the last few games? Because you took care of the ball. This is not about the media having it in for you. This is not about the media coming for you. This is not about the media having some kind of conspiracy against you. This is about the media doing its job on a night where you did not play well. And yes, you're going to hear about it if you're wearing a Laker gamer. Much more so than if you were still a member of the Thunder. This is how this goes, all right? You're back in L.A., Rush. You know L.A., You played your college ball here. You know how this goes. This is not some grand conspiracy. The media is not out to get you. They're not coming for you. It's just how things work. You know, kind of like people talk to Frank Vogel about LeBron being suspended last night. He didn't say, hey, uh, it's funny that you didn't ask me that the other 1,300 times he wasn't suspended. No, it came up because he was suspended. And the team looked like hell again without him. And as long as we're talking about turnovers in recent history, it is true you had 12 in the previous four games. And the four games before that, you were averaging nearly seven per game. So yes, Russ, it's going to be a topic. And yes, you were great in the third quarter when you had 18 in a run that got the Lakers back into the game. But you, Russ, were a huge reason why they were down 25 in the first place. That's what's so weird. Like, the turnovers vanished in the second half, and the production went up, so it's proof that he can still do it. He can carry that team when LeBron is out and AD is whatever AD is, sick. After the street closed Davis. He just can't do it consistently. So, yeah, Russ, I'm not sure what it is either. And I'm not saying it's all on you. The entire team is like that right now. That's how you get to be 9-10 and 10 on the season. You play okay sometimes, and you play like garbage most garbage. of the time. And last night was a lot of garbage. garbage. So stop blaming the media, Russ. We're not the ones with the ball in our hands. You are. My man, your stat line looks worse than Isaiah Stewart's bloodied up face. Ah! I wonder if Braun has another closed fist cheap shot to somebody else locked and loaded to get his team a win i mean that's the formula right that's when you guys turn it on right by the all-star break lebron might kill somebody on the court like he killed the moving picture medium with space jam 2 
Spiner. That was that was LeBron taking a closed fist and going with a spinning hammer fist to the entire movie industry when he made Space Jam 2. That movie is just bleeding all over everybody right now. No question about five games. You know why? They've got the staple gun out. They're trying to close the cut. Bam, bam, staples. The the movie industry, I mean. At least they're handling it well. Another bad night for the Lakers. Hey, yeah, this just in. They didn't get right against the Pistons. That's not going to be the night or the game that we all look back on and say, yep, yep, that's when it all changed. And nothing changed. They were down by 25 last night. Let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle you hate and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. You can follow him on Twitter at Bucky Brooks. Bucky, it is great to have you back. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for doing it. How are you? I'm good, Jim. How's everything? Good, dude. Good. Great to talk to you, Bucky. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Let me jump right into it. I want to ask you about Kansas City off the top. How different does the Chiefs defense look to you now that Chris Jones has moved back to defensive tackle? I mean, it looks a lot different. Um, Look, man, he was an all-pro caliber defensive tackle, one of the best in the business. Um, and I think people just need to go back and look at how he played a couple years ago. Dominant inside presence. And I understood what Steve Spagnuolo was doing. He was trying to put his big guy on the outside because they had Jaron Reed come over from the Seattle Seahawks, and they were trying to get their best guys on the field at the same time. But what you had is you had a guy who was very talented in Chris Jones who was playing out of position. So he didn't have the natural instincts or feel for playing out there. And even though he would flash at times, it still wasn't the consistent dominant that we've seen for him sometimes during his career at Kansas City. So even though they still bounced him inside and out, they put him more inside this game against the Dallas Cowboys, and you saw the result. You saw three-and-a-half sacks. You saw two tackles for loss. You saw persistent pressure. And because he's able to set the table from inside, it allowed Frank Clark and others to get going. And then when you have great pressure up front, it allows the coverage to look better in the back end. Overall, the Kansas City Chiefs have made steady and consistent improvement on defense. That's why they're back into the mix and back into the conversation. Bucks, the team that could go forward in the playoffs. Excuse me, I was just going to say, and you answered it for me. Bucky Brooks is joining us, NFL Network analyst, and again, 12 years in the NFL as a player and a scout. So, Bucky, what about the Chargers? For instance, they had a 17-point lead going into the fourth on Sunday. It was still a 14-point lead late in the fourth, but then Pittsburgh comes back to take the lead. Given the Chargers' history of fourth-quarter meltdowns over the years, how significant was it that they found a way to grind out that win? I mean, it was really significant because that stuff kind of plays with your mind in those moments. When you're used to losing those games, you begin to have kind of the woe is me, how are we going to mess this up? 
as opposed to, hey, man, let's embrace this moment. Let's go make it happen. And so when you get a win like that, it only increases the confidence. It only makes you feel better about being in those situations later on. I think the big thing for the Chargers going forward is we understand how special Justin Herbert is, but what can the other guys do in those moments, meaning the defense? Can the defense rise up and make plays? That's the area where Brandon Staley still has to get that part of the team right because offensively they're going to be fine. I think that's really interesting what you just said. Let me, get Bucky, get you to go back to Justin Herbert for a minute because you know he is special. They know he's special. He's had a really good season, but when he's rushing for 90 yards the way he did against Pittsburgh, what does that added dimension mean for his game? Well, I mean, it changes the way that you have to defend them. So what Pittsburgh was trying to do, they were trying to play two-man, meaning two deep safeties, five uh, defenders in man coverage, and they're basically gambling that the quarterback is not going to run. And so what you forget is that Justin Herbert was an outstanding athlete in high school, three-sport star, baseball, basketball, football, really mobile and agile. You just don't see a six-six guy move around like Herbert does. And so when he's able to move and gain 90 yards on the ground, well, now the next opponent has to figure out, okay, how are we going to treat him? Are we going to treat him as a pure pocket passer? Do we have to respect the mobility? Can they do enough zone reset to keep us honest? Well, now you have more tools in the toolbox when you're the play caller trying to figure out how you're going to call the game. So Justin Herbert's athleticism adds another dimension to the Chargers' offense that you have to defend. We are talking to Bucky Brooks. Now, Bucky, let me bounce some numbers off you. These numbers are pretty amazing. Maybe not to you, but if you were to go back a few weeks and I were to say these numbers, I think most fans would not believe it. Jalen Hurts improved his completion percentage by 10 points this year. His passer rating's up 13 points. He's on pace to account for 4,500 yards from scrimmage along with 32 TDs. So what do you make of what you've seen from him in year two? Really, really like it. And I think if you notice and paid attention to Jalen Hurts from his time in Alabama through Oklahoma, the one thing that you can never question is his intangible, his leadership ability, and his ability to welcome being the guy. And so now in Philadelphia, when they gave him the opportunity to be the guy, he spent all offseason putting himself in a position to be a franchise quarterback. And it may not look like uh, some of us want franchise quarterbacks to look in terms of a, being able to throw from the pocket and do all these things. But what he is is he's a tough guy who has enough skills as a runner and thrower to kind of present problems to the defense. And when you look at the numbers, because I think I tweeted today about um, his numbers being eerily similar to what Lamar Jackson accomplished the first 15 games of their respective careers, that changes the way that you have to defend the Philadelphia Eagles. And now that they've leaned into the running game, where they're using him as kind of the centerpiece of the run game, read option power, option quarterback design runs, you're now seeing a team that has rushed for over 175 yards in the last four games. And so now this Eagles team looks differently, and you almost have to treat them like you treat the Baltimore Ravens. They're a unique entity when it comes to defending them, and so all the things that you want to do on defense, you kind of have to throw out because they operate like a collegiate team, not like an NFL team. It's really high praise by you, and I, I agree. I like him a lot. I really like him, and I love the intangibles. I love the work ethic. I love the way guys respond to him, and I like what I see from him. Bucky, I thought you had a really interesting tweet about Baker Mayfield that I want to ask you about. You tweeted the quote, he's finding out what many players find out when you take one for the team. You might earn a few brownie points from your teammates, but the football world judges you on your performance, and they don't really care about the injuries. It's not fair, but that's how it goes. End of tweet. So let me ask you, when guys experience what he's experiencing, 
Is it tempting to maybe not take one for the team and only play when you know you can produce? You know, it's really a tough thing. Like, it's a tough deal that you try and do it, right? Because we all grew up in team sports where you're taught to sacrifice everything for the betterment of the team. Look, if you're hurt, suck it up. Let's try and go because if you're out there, you're giving for the team and everyone appreciates the tough guy. So in the circle, there's an appreciation for Baker Mayfield's toughness, his mental, his intestinal fortitude, all of those things. But on the outside world, all we do is we look at the numbers in the box score and we're saying Baker Mayfield's not playing well. Baker Mayfield is throwing interceptions. Why isn't he playing like we expect the number one overall pick to play? And so it's that dilemma where if you're not kind of wired the right way where you can block out the white noise, it does impact you. And here's the thing. He just sat here and watched it happen with his former teammate, Odell Beckham Jr. Because everyone was getting on Odell Beckham Jr. who was coming off an ACL, who had a shoulder injury, but we don't really care about that. Because when you step between the lines and the ball goes your way or you're throwing the ball, we only want to see the ball completed. We want to see touchdowns. And so it's that dilemma that every athlete finds themselves stuck in. Do I go out here and put myself out there, even though I know I'm not 100%, and listen to all the, the, the noise, the hecklers, the haters? Or do I sit back and wait until I'm fully healthy? But then if I do that, then I'm viewed as selfish. Is one of those dilemmas that everyone has to face. Mm. Bucky Brooks joining us for a few more moments. Bucky, what about the Bills? I'm really curious what your thoughts are on Buffalo. They just got hammered by the Colts. That's not a one-off. If you were a Bills fan, how concerned would you be about what you're seeing from them right now? I'm really concerned because the teams that have played physical football have given them problems. So when you think about what the Tennessee Titans were able to do, they were able to beat them up, kind of wear them down with Derrick Henry. Then you go back and you look at the Indianapolis Colts and how they were able to kind of manhandle them with Jonathan Taylor being the centerpiece of the game plan. To me, I'm worried because from a Buffalo team, you have to be able to stand up and deal with the physical teams because that's how football is played down the stretch. Playoff football is a very physical brand of football, particularly when you're in a division where, look, here comes the Patriots going back to playing like the early 2000s where there's smash mouth football. So if I'm Buffalo, I'm concerned defensively, hey, can we stack up and put on our big boy pads and defend the running game? And then offensively, can we find a way to run the ball without Josh Allen having to do everything? I love Josh Allen and all the things that he can bring, but he can't be a one-man show in Buffalo. They have to diversify and balance out that offense while getting a better effort and better production from their defense. Bucky Brooks is breaking everything down for us once again. Bucky, before I cut you loose, I've got to ask you about the Pats. I agree with you. They look like the early 2000 Pats. Man, I could not be more impressed with what I'm seeing from them on both sides of the ball. What do you personally make, for instance, of how Josh McDaniels has developed the offense around Mac Jones and the way he keeps putting Jones in good spots and Jones takes advantage of it more often than not? I think it's a master class on how you develop your quarterback. Uh, too often we, the football world, expect the quarterback to come into the league and be able to put everything on his shoulders and do all these things. When you really look at the Patriots, what they've done is they've asked Mac Jones to just play a part in the offense. They have a great offensive line. They're running the football. Defensively, they're playing at a, t- at a high level. So now what they're asking them to do is, hey, man, just make the plays that you can make. Don't turn it over, and we can win it that way. So when you study what Mac Jones is being asked to do, the ball barely travels over five to ten yards. It's a lot of outbreaking routes that are five yards or less, a lot of screen passes, and an occasional isolation route um, off play action. Those things are easy to complete. They're high percentage throws, 
and Mac Jones is doing a good job of just staying in his lane. When he stays in his lane, this Patriots team can win a ton of games. For teams to beat the Patriots, they got to choke the running game and make Mac Jones have to play football where he has to throw when it's not comfortable and when the world knows that he has to throw so then they can play coverage. But right now, the Patriots control the game. As long as they control it, they can win a ton of games. And I have seen them do this over and over and over again for the last 20 years. They are kind of rounding in the form as a Super Bowl team. I was going to say, okay, there you go. Again, I was going to say really quickly, do they look to you like a team that if he does stay in his lane, a team that can not only win that division but make a deep run in the playoffs, do they look that good to you? Yes. Yes, they look like that. Because if you go back and study how the Patriots started, the first part of the dynasty when they won three out of four in the early 2000s, Tom Brady was just like a secondary complimentary piece to what they did. They did it with people like Antoine Smith and Corey Dillon and a bunch of guys in the backfield. It was the defense that led the way. That defense is playing lights out. So now Mac Jones doesn't have to win it. He just doesn't lose it. As long as he doesn't lose the game, they're going to win games. And this is how the Patriots have always won. That old DBO premise we talk about, don't beat ourselves, it came from the Patriots. Don't turn it over. Don't have penalties. Don't give a big play. You do that, you can win the overwhelming majority of your games. They've mastered it. That's why they're back in the mix. Let me reset very quickly. He is an NFL Network analyst, 12 years in the NFL as a player and a scout, founder of Big Play Football, head coach at Granada Hills Charter High School, host of the Move the Sticks podcast, along with Daniel Jeremiah. And you want to make sure you follow Bucky Brooks at Bucky Brooks on Twitter. Bucky, you are the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Hey, man, appreciate you, Rome. Have a good Thanksgiving. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover exceptionally common sense. It must be that time. What's your beef? We do it every single Wednesday, and we do it at different parts during the program. I gave you the heads up. Let's do this. I don't want to run out of time. What's your beef? You can hit me up with anything at all, any beef at all. I don't need the context. It doesn't have to be sports-related. If there's anything in your life that's bothering you, I'm here to hear it. I'm here for it. I'm here to hear it. Hit me up. Hit me up on the phones. Hit me up on social media. Let's get it. Starting with Remy. Quote, my beef is with grumpy, aggressive customer service rep. I don't want to be on this call any more than you do. Trust me, this was my last resort. So watch your mouth when you're talking to me. I don't need your lip. That's the truth, too. I agree with that. Van Smack, I got beef with these randos that come up and push the elevator button that I just did. Did you not just see me push that button? Do you not see that it's already lit? Do you think that you push it better than me? Trust me, I got decades of experience pushing buttons, friend. You don't want to try me. Thanks. Mark in Parts Unknown. Hey, Mark, it's funny. I just didn't know that somebody pushing the button after you had already pushed the button was a reason to go. This guy just said, you don't want to try me. Try you? For, for what? Because he pushed the up button after you had already? Yeah, I know it's not going to help, but it's not a reason to go. Now, notice, Mark, on our universal list of reasons to go, somebody spits in your face, somebody insults your race or religion, somebody threatens you or your family, somebody insults your lady or your significant other. 
somebody pushed the elevator button after you already did. One of these things is not like the others. Right. You will never hear drowning pool after that. Rome Slice. I got a beef. Anybody who spells my last name R-O-A-M. You want to know what my beef is? Stupidity. Ignorance. Illiteracy. Well, I don't know, Rome. It rhymes with foam, right, but it's spelled differently. This guy's like Rome Slice, R-O-A-M. Yo, my beef is with dentists. The nurse thumbs you up, numbs you up. Uh-oh! The nurse numbs you up, and then all of a sudden some guy walks in the room and rips your face apart, leaving you bloody, swollen, and vulnerable. Then he just walks out like nothing happened. Hey, bro, could you at least hold my hand for a minute and tell me everything's going to be okay? Funk in the 503. At Wooden Laconic, quote, my beef is with people at work who attach red receipts to their emails. You don't need to know the exact instant that I skim your email and decide to drop it to the bottom of my to-do list. Okay, Lisa, wait your turn. Hi, Jim. My beef is those stupid safety seals that you find under caps of ketchup, bleach, mayo, toothpaste, peanut butter, etc. Some of them have little pull tabs that never work or grab tabs on the sides that never work. So you need to find a utensil to puncture that seal and remove it that way. Why? Why? Todd and Lincoln. You know what? Actually, believe it or not, Todd, you're, you're in the one hole. I agree with that guy. I think that every single time I open up a bottle of Chipotle or something, it's hard, man. And then what you're saying is not only do you need that sharp object, but at least 25% of the time I open up my wrist or my thumb or something because I needed a knife to open up a bottle that I should just twist off. Yeah, I'm going to take my chances that nobody's putting poison in that bottle, man. Just There's got to be a better way. I'm with you. Rome. I have beef with people who will post pictures of their turkey dinner on social tomorrow. Listen up, idiots. We are all eating the same thing. If I want to know what you're eating, I'll just look at my own plate. Sarah T. War lady clones. That away, Sarah. Happy Thanksgiving. Jim, I have a serious beef with the U.S. and Canadian Thanksgivings being on different dates. I'm sick and tired of missing the NFL triple header due to work. Can these two great nations sort the frick out? Happy Thanksgiving, Jim. Chris in Alberta. I like that. That's interesting. You're right. You're going to miss. Okay, here's the thing. You're going to miss a triple header, which will suck. Just know this. All six teams playing tomorrow lost last Sunday. So how much are you really missing? If I'm not mistaken, the Canadian Thanksgiving was October 11th. What did I miss that day? On a Monday. Hey, Rome. My beef is with the cashier with five-inch long acrylic nails. You grossed me out. You gave me the heebie-jeebies when you grabbed my credit card and you scratched all my knuckles with your Freddy Krueger claws. Jake in the NYC. My man, Jake. Hey, Jake, yo, dude, not to be weird about it, but if, in fact, I ever, ever did go out on those nights that I go to New York for the NFL and CBS, dude, I might hang with you, man. I might thank you. And John in New York, you can come too. You know why I said that? Because I never go out and never will. 
But if I did, bro hams, if I did, at the J-Man 5, quote, my beef, trampoline park dad. (laughs) I like it already. I like it already. This park is for your kids, not you. (laughs) Doing double backflips during toddler time does not make you badass. It makes you an ass. Who are you performing for? Moms are not impressed, and the three-year-olds don't care. Go watch your child. J-Man. There you go. He's the leader in the clubhouse right now. That's different. That's original, and he's right. But dad slamming off the side of the bounce house on the inside didn't want any of that. Romy, my beef is with that one friend from high school who wants to rip up the bars the night before Thanksgiving. Bro. We are 27 years old. I have to wake up tomorrow morning and interact with my family. I cannot be the hungover, immature college kid at the table anymore. Sorry that you peaked in high school, but grow the hell up. Nick in New York. Solid. Another strong take. Rome. My beef is with people that go up to the counter at a crowded business, cutting right in front of everybody and saying, is this the line? Ron, now in NoCal. Can in SA, quote, Rome. I've got to be honest. I've got a beef with my mom's Thanksgiving stuffing. I'm 52 years old, and I have never said, your stuffing is great, mom. Yet every year it shows up, and no one eats that brown tray mixture of dog food and fiberglass insulation. Cut it out, mom. Rome Slice. All right. Oh, my God. This is so weird. I literally was thinking this before I read this based on what that guy just said. It's really weird. She literally has a beef that was in my mind that I was trying to decide whether or not to articulate. And I didn't want to articulate it because I know my wife is listening. And it involves, well, her family. Jana was like, where are you going with that? It doesn't really involve your family, Dodger Jano. Just your family green bean casserole recipe rome slice i have a beef with green bean casserole blah it looks like something i blew out my nose and it tastes like something a 1950s housewife would feed a dog and whoever brought it for thanksgiving is just telling the family they're too busy to make a dish with more than three ingredients diana in detroit war lady clones war lady clones yo d you would be number one if not for trampoline dad. But you're right. And I have the same thought about green bean casserole. Man, it's ass. And it's not creative and it doesn't taste good. And Dodger Jan will be, yeah, well, my family's does. Uh, let's not get into that right now, Dodger Jano. Uh, let's not get into that yet. Let me check my text. I want to see if she's blowing me up yet. Nope. Must have turned her radio off. Wells in the 360. My beef is with Chet Holmgren. Eat some food, you string bean. You look weaker than Kevin Durant did in college. Go to New York and eat a dozen hotel cheeseburgers before you get Gonzaga bounced from the tournament in March. Hey, Wells, look, I'm fine with you being fat, but that take has so much fat. That's like the worst take. Even for you, Wells, that is a terrible take. You just cracked a team that's number one in the country, that just beat the second-ranked team in the country by 20, and the kid was sensational. And you're like, hey, man, go eat a dozen cheeseburgers. Why, Wells? Because that's what you would do? 
Because that is what you do? Come on, man. Bad take, dude. Bad take. You mean the guy who's going to go first overall in the draft? You mean that guy? You mean that guy who's 19 who looked completely polished last night on both ends of the floor? You mean that guy, Fatso? Come on, Wells. Hey, Wells, fat. not everybody is fat like you. Fat. Hey, Jim. My, Just kidding, Wells. No, I'm not. Hey, Jim. My beef is with coffee servers wanting to be called baristas. Are you freaking kidding me? Didn't we cover this with mixologists, a.k.a. soda jerks, already? Yo, Flo, take that condescending look off your face and get me a simple black cup of coffee and a jelly donut pronto. Jim and Temecula, you ain't really quickly, I want to take up for the baristas. The gals, and I say the gals because there are no dudes who work there in the morning when I go by. The gals that I see every morning at Starbucks are freaking professional. And they're two doors down from the Nectar store where they were completely unprofessional. I love the baristas that I see every single morning. Val, Porter, Man, they are pros. Smile on their face at 5 a.m. Always happy to see me. I'm going to take up for them. I don't get any attitude from those gals. They're great. They're pros. Bell B, you want to know what my beef is? My beef is with the unoriginal clones that call everyone a bag. Learn some new dis words, dweebs. Yeah, dweeb. Hey, what she said. And why did I say what she said? Because whatever she says. Bella B, she's always right. Mr. Rome, my beef is flaggers at road construction sites. I can clearly see where I am required to drive, designated by cones, so you don't have to wave me along the designated path. You aren't directing traffic on an aircraft carrier, so go back to your cigarette, 64-ounce Mountain Dew, and play on your phone. Earnestly, Ernesto Z in North Williamette Valley, Oregon. Ernesto, really quickly, I got a, a side story for you. Remember the Miracor that I talk about all the time on this show? Once when I was in Santa Barbara, I went by one of those areas, one of those construction sites, and apparently I was driving too fast because one of the dudes in the orange vest with a flag smacked my window with his hand when I went by. And I'm like, yo, dude, I'm going to get into a fight with a Caltrans guy. This is going to be bad. And so I, I backed the car up. I'm like, are you, are you effing kidding me? He's like, why don't you slow the F down? I'm like, dude, we're going to go. And then I had to suck it up. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get the, the wrong end of this. Dude was probably like 6'4", 250, angry with his life and his job. And I was doing my typical 5'10", buck 60. I'm like, yeah, believe you, yo. He's like, slow down, idiot. Dude, the dude's smack. If if for anything but the Maricor, I probably would have given up my face. But the Maricor was not a reason to go. Billy Gray is in. Romy, my beef is with Thanksgiving. Signed at Turkey's. I love my X chair. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair that I've ever used. And honestly, it is probably the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Fact. So what makes the X-Chair the world's best office chair? Maybe it's the patented dynamic variable lumbar support or the fact that you can add LMAX technology with four massage options and the ability to warm or cool your back. 
That chair can do all those things. No other chair can. So now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. So why right now? Because right now is the only time that X chair goes on sale all year. That's right. Only on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Come on. You deserve the X chair, and you're going to kick yourself if you miss this special deal. Save up to $500 on X chair, four days only, on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X chair, R-O-M-E.com. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 25 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com. And save up to $500. XchairRome.com. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Appleton. Christopher. Christopher, you're in. What is your beef? Uh, my beef is with the actual Thanksgiving dinner. Like, almost all of it, front to back, not good. Roast turkey is not good. You never go to a restaurant and say, I'll have the turkey. <laughs> we already talked about green bean casserole with the pre-fried onions that you get in a large Pringles can or the sweet potato with the marshmallows and brown sugar and you try to feed that to adults, all of it is just it's pumpkin pie. Who wants squash pie? There's a reason you only eat this food once a year. You know, like maybe the leftover Thanksgiving sandwich is the best part of it, which is why you'll get that once in a while. But overall, Thanksgiving dinner, it's like maybe 1965 and then we just... We ended with it. Did the Pilgrims bring over green bean casserole? Did they bring over marshmallows for their casserole? I'm from Wisconsin, and this still offends me. Yeah, not good. My man. And by the way, Rackham, have you ever heard me let a beef go that long? That was so good. That was so good because I think he's in the minority. And, And by the way, I agreed with everything he said except pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie rules. But his whole point about it, turkey's not that good. White meat's the worst. It's with this whole sweet potato marshmallow thing, I've never understood. The watery green bean casserole sucks. Cranberry sucks. I, I agree with that guy. I mean, I mean, I still like it. I'll go there. Mashed potatoes rule. Dark meat rules. And the cocktails rule. Back to the phones. Good job, though, bro. He's like, I'm from Wisconsin, and I'm offended by it. Let's go to Los Angeles. Bob in L.A., I know this guy's pissed. He's always pissed at something, so I know he's got beef. Bob, my man, what is your beef today? Hey, Jim, how about when you go to the mall three times a week, and every time you go there, the up escalator doesn't work, and the down one's working better than all the rest of them, and they never seem to fix it. But worse than that is when you go to the airport with the famous people mover, which supposedly goes in both directions. And when you get into Chicago with nine miles to go, you get there and either one or both are out. And the one that's out, is always your direction. And then you have to be embarrassed by getting on that thing and lugging your luggage. And those lucky people going in the opposite directions are laughing their heads off. Hey, Bob, you know what I'm going to do with you, Bob? You know what I'm going to do with you, Bob? I'm going to run your ass. Run his ass down. There you go. Now you're done. What are you doing in the mall three days a week anyway, Bob? And by the way, my man, I don't know how old you are, but probably you should be walking those stairs anyway. Sorry to have to run your ass. Run his ass down. Because you were the one that started it. 
1-800-636-8686. Having a hell of a lot of fun with the beef segment. What do you say we go to Santa Cruz? Don in Santa Cruz. Don, what is your beef? Uh, my beef is with uh, dog owners that bring their dogs to the beach, uh, bag the poop, and then conveniently leave it in the sand. Bring your poop, drop it in the can. It's a bummer. All right, so that's interesting. If you're going to bag it up, why would you leave it in the sand? Walk it to the trash can. Do dogs love the beach, though, don't they? You, you can't expect them to be only at the dog park. 1-800-636-8686. I do have time for a few more telephone calls. Telephone beefs, when they work, they're great, and then when they don't, they're not. Let's try Texas. Ed in Texas. Ed, what's your beef? Jimmy Wisco. Yeah, my beef is with the chicken, man. You know, making barnyard noises and pounding chicken doesn't make you a jungle legend. You self-glossing, no-talent hack. All you're doing is giving other crank callers false hope of jungle stardom. You know, if Trapper were alive today, he'd probably be saying, Jim, Jim, a little help down here. Hello, hello. Was that Trapper calling from the afterlife, or what was that? Was he, was he trying to get out of the, his coffin? Is that what you just did, Ed? Not not only did you crack on a guy who's beloved in the jungle, not Trapper, but yes, Trapper, Chicken Man. Did, did you just make a knocking sound of somebody trying to get out of their coffin? That ain't cool. That ain't right. I never even used the word ain't. That's all wrong, bro. Not cool. Do not make a sound of Trapper knocking on the coffin. Because if, in fact, he gets out of that coffin, he will choke your ass out. Come on, man. That's not cool. Do better. Let's go to... That, that, that's just a terrible call. Like, you know how there's this thing about there are no incorrect beefs? That was an incorrect beef. You know how when I said you can beef about anything you want? Anything except that. That was a terrible call. When we don't get bad calls with beefs, that was a bad call. A terrible call. An awful call. And not amusing. This one knows how to do it. Let's go to Omaha. Kathleen. Kathleen, what is your beef? Brady and Jimmy G are both about as dashing as a jelly slug trash panda sandwich. Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert both blow them away like a layer of dust on the floor. Didn't you make that call last week, Kathleen? Didn't you let us know last week that Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert are super hot to you and that Jimmy G and Tom Brady are not? I think we've already done that, Kathleen. I think you've established that fact. We're not done yet, but almost. 1-800-636-8686. Let's try another lady clone. Buffalo. Margo. Hello. What's your beef, Margo? Hello. Um, my beef is uh, with all those who get up from the Thanksgiving dinner, head to the couch, and leave the mess for the person who cooked it. With the bleep. Happy thanks for giving a hand in the kitchen. Ridiculous. <laughs> I feel you, Margo. That is kind of uncool. That is kind of uncool. But every family's got one. Every family's got a few of them. Is there anybody else here worth talking to? 
On line four, let's go to Green Bay. Jake in Green Bay, you made it in. Jake, what's your beef? Jim, I got a beef with people telling me when to put my Christmas decorations up. I'll put them up whenever I want. I got them up right now, and I may leave them up until February because I'm proud, and uh, I am happy to celebrate Christmas. All right, man. You got it. Appreciate that. Don't you tell Jake what to do. See, the funny thing about that, Jake, and you're in Green Bay, when I built my house in northern Wisconsin, there was no shortage of people telling me what to do with that house. No sooner than I arrived, they were telling me things like, hey, yo, Rome, nice house, but those lights, way too bright. Turn them down. Some guy literally stopped me in the street and told me that. Another one, hey, Rome, window coverings, bro. Get some window coverings up on that house. Trade pros, whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. Mark Schmidt is my guest. Mark, it's great to have you on. How are you? Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you. All right, so there's lots to cover and I want to get into. But before we do that, Mark, you are unbeaten. You did just beat Marquette. You've got the highest ranking in the polls for the program in 50 years. I've got to know, what's the vibe and the buzz like around campus and the program these days? It's a great buzz. Um, as you know, it's, you know, we've been really good you know, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and with Bob Lanier and so forth. And uh, we haven't been ranked in, in 50 years. And th- this is a basketball school. It's, you know, the, the tradition is unbelievable. And, you know, people are really excited. Um, you know, we, I'm just honored to, to be able to coach a team uh, that has this talent. And, you know, hopefully we can, um, we can stay healthy and we can have a good season. That's it. Mark Schmidt joining us. I understand you're looking forward, but I do have to ask you, you went to the Charleston Classic last week. You beat Boise State. You beat Clemson. And then you thrashed Marquette in the championship game. I mean, how special of a run was that for you personally and for the program? It was great. You know, you know, I've been here 15 years and, you know, never would have thought that we would have been invited to a, such a prestigious um, uh, tournament. And, and, you know, you have West Virginia there and Ole Miss and Marquette and Clemson and, you know, great programs, great coaches. Um, and for us to be able to come out of there with, with, a, with a championship is really a credit to our players, um, the way they played, the way they were able to turn the page and go on to the next game and, it was just, it, it was terrific. You know, for our school, we had, you know, 1,500 people came down from Olean uh, to to really celebrate with us. And it was it was great for our university. And, you know, being on ESPN and, and you know, all that is, is, is something that um, is terrific for that, us. That is fun. Mark Schmidt's joining us. You mentioned the players. Let me ask you about one or two of them. I want to start with Kyle Lofton. He was the MVP of the Classic. He's played all but six minutes, and he's played 94% of the team's minutes over the past three years. What has he meant to you and to the program? Jim, he's the quarterback. You know, I grew, I grew up in Boston, and, you know, Tom Brady's no longer with the Patriots, but he's our Tom Brady. He he runs our team. You know, he was he was named captain by his teammates his freshman year, so that tells you, you know, all you need to know about him as a kid. Uh, he's just hits big shots. You know, he's the leader. He's the guy that gives our guys confidence. Uh, he's a special player, a special kid. 
uh, a special player and you know one of the reasons why we've had so much success in the last four years. Mark Schmidt's my guest. What about Oshun Oshunier? He was Lofton's high school classmate. He was named the conference defensive player of the year last year. He had offers to play at Syracuse, Georgetown. I'm curious, what was the vision that you shared with him and Lofton to make them feel like St. Bonaventure was the place for them? Yeah, we got Kyle first. They both went to Putnam Science um, Academy in Connecticut, and we recruited um, Kyle first, and Kyle committed, and and Oshuna was Oshuni was going to uh, uh, another. He was going to LaSalle, and you know their coach got fired, and and Kyle became the you know the biggest recruiter. And um, you know we just told them you know what we saw. We had a kid Andrew Nicholson who was the uh, first round pick back in 2012 for for the Magic, and we just told him, hey, this is what we can do. You know, it's it's a basketball school. You know, we really take individual improvement, uh, skill development really seriously, and you know and if if he wants to be a player, this is a place that he could come to, you know, rather than going to Syracuse and Georgetown and sitting on the bench for a couple of years, he can come here and, and make an immediate impact. And, and that's what he's done. And he's a great defensive player. You know, we, we have a really good defensive team uh, and a lot has to do with, with his presence inside. You know, when our guys make mistakes, he's there to, to protect the rim. And he's just, he has a, a really a, a knack for, for blocking shots. And, you know, we as coaches can take all the credit in the world, but, you know, it's he, he just he understands he has, he just has a talent for it, and he knows when to take a block a shot, and he knows when to take a charge, and he's just been fabulous for us. We are talking to Mark Schmidt. So, Mark, let me ask you: like as you mentioned, the program has got amazing tradition and history, but had not had a lot of success in recent years. So, what was it? I mean, the program was in a tough spot when you first got there. What was it then about this job and this opportunity that appealed to you so much? You know, Jim, my, my Skip Prosser was my guy. And I remember I was an assistant at Xavier, and we came up here um, when Xavier was in the Atlantic 10. And, and, you know, two or three years, they weren't very good. And, but the crowd was still there. You know, the people still came out and supported them. And, and the last time we came up, um, we lost um, back in, I don't know, it was 2000 maybe. And I remember going back to the airport with Skip and saying, Skip, I, I've never been in a louder place in my life. And, you know, when this job opened up, I, you know, I, I sat and I talked to coach and, and I, you know, he, he told me, it's like, Hey, it's not a graveyard. They, they had one before. Why, why can't you bring them back? And it's just, it wasn't just me. It's, you know, I have a great staff, uh, a great administration and, and, and they wanted to, they wanted a winner again. They wanted to, to do it the right way, but they wanted to bring uh, that tradition back. And, and lucky enough, you know, we have, and we're not satisfied. We need to continue to improve. Um, but where it was 15 years ago until, you know, where it is today, it's, it's, it's been a, a magical run for us. You know, Mark, you just said that Skip Prosser was my guy. I would argue that Skip literally was everybody's guy. I, yep. I mean, I, can, I yeah. can't say how many guys I've talked to on this program, Mark, that coached with him, played with him, knew him. He is absolutely beloved and universally respected and loved. What was it about Skip that made him so special? He treated everybody the same. You know, no matter if you were the, the, the greatest coach in the world or you were the custodian that, that, that wiped up the floor, he treated everybody the same. Uh, he was a great coach, um, but he was all about relationships. Um, he always used to tell me it's, you know, 10% of the game is X's and O's and 90% of the game is to get the kids to play hard for you. And how do you get them to play hard? Those kids have to know that you love them. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what Skip was. He's a great coach, a better man. Um, you know, he's, he's missed... You know, it's 
He's, you know, in the basketball world, you know, when you say Skip Prosser, you're exactly right, Jim. You know, when when you talk about him as a person, the values, his morals, he was just a special man, and he taught me a, a, a great deal about this business and and how to coach and how to treat people. I would say not only Mark in the sport of basketball. I know people in other sports, in other walks of life, who have connected with Skip to say the exact same thing. I mean, he was he was transcendent in that regard. This is a very very unique person. Mark Schmidt's joining us. For those who don't know, Mark, you have one of the most fascinating journeys in college coaching. You played your college ball at Boston College as part of the first recruiting class after the point shaving scandal. What was that time like for you? You know something, as an 18 year old guy, Jim, you're really not even thinking about this this whole point shaving thing and and really it's you know i was it was my sophomore year when when the conviction came through in 1983 and and i remember the uh the fbi agents coming into into the locker room and really explaining it to the team and you know being 18 19 years old you're really nervous and, and you know these guys with it with their suits and their you know their shoes you can see their face through it, it was just it was really intimidating and um but you know, we we've had we had really good teams. You know, we went to two Sweet Sixteens. We went to an Elite Eight. You know, we had great players: Michael Adams, John Bagley, and great coaches, and and Gary Williams and Tom Davis. And those were great times for for Boston College. You know, the Flutie years with the Heisman Trophy and all that. So, it, it was a great college experience for me. Oh, you bet! Your senior year, you guys upset Duke in the tournament. You went to the Sweet exactly. Sixteen. I got to ask you this, Mark, before you go, because there was a point in time where you got into selling health and beauty products in Massachusetts. I ask you this because I tried sales, and I still have nightmares. I mean, I got my ass kicked every day, all day. It is a hard, hard gig. What did you take away from your time in sales, and what do you remember about it? I wanted to get into coaching. Um, yeah, right? No, I, I sold Bayer Aspirin and, um, you know, for 20 months. And it was, you know, I had my company car, and it was good money. And, but it, I, I missed the camaraderie of the locker room, of being a team. Everything was like, as a salesman, you're trying to reach a quota and all that stuff. And it was very, very, I don't know, selfish, I guess. You're just thinking about yourself. And, you know, as a basketball player, it's about the team. And, and that's what I missed. And, and I had no idea, Jim. It's like I was going back to get my master's degree, and, and I started substitute teaching to get some money. And, they asked me to be the freshman football coach at, at my high school, and I played football in high school, but I had no idea. And and started coaching football, and I'm like, man, I I love this. And I started, you know, then I got the JV basketball coach and JV baseball coach, and and then I, you know, parlayed that into a, an assistant's job at St. Michael's College up in uh, Winnesky, Vermont, for for sixty three hundred dollars. And that's how my uh, that's how my career started. I wasn't this. My parents are asking me, "What the heck are you doing, Mark? You graduated from Boston College, and now you're making sixty three hundred dollars. You know, being twenty five years old." But I made the right decision. I had a lot of luck around uh, along the way, and 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 we talked about Skip Prosser. He was he was the guy that really got me going, and um, I hold you know. I, I give everything to him. It's such a funny story you just tell. I, I, I've shared this story to myself, Mark, but my, my father was from Boston, and he went to BU. He went to Brookline High School. And I remember when I got my start in Santa Barbara doing radio, not making very much money, he calls me up. And this was long before there was cell phone technology. He's like, what are you doing up there? I said, what do you mean what am I doing up there? He's like, what are you doing up there? I'm like, I'm working my ass off up here. Why do you ask? He's like, your mother and I are concerned that you're pissing your life away. I'm like, well, are you kidding? I've got an ulcer. I'm 25. I work 100 hours a week. What do you mean? What am I doing up here? So I know that conversation you're talking about where your parents are saying, wait a minute, man. You went to college. What are you doing making 6300 bucks? Right? 
I know. And, I, and, I, and it's funny that I, in the summertime, because my job at St. Michael's was only a nine-month job, you know, I, I worked for Coca-Cola. And I didn't even drive a, chuck, a, a truck. I was, I was shotgun, you know, building displays for Stop and Shop and so forth. And, you know, it's a funny story. And you look back, and it's pretty humbling. Um, but it's, at the time, you thought, you know, everything's fine. Mom and Dad, you're crazy. Everything will be all right. And you look back, and, like, you know, you think about, what, what, what was I thinking back then? But. Uh-huh. It all, worked we were, out. it all no, worked out. It all worked out. Hey, by the way, the reason it all worked out is because you did those things. I, I knew, exactly. I knew one more day, and I knew, I knew I was not cut out for that work. I couldn't do it, man. I have nothing but respect for people who cold call and prospect, man. That is a tough, tough gig with a lot yeah. of pressure. I get it. Yeah. So, but same, it teaches you. Yes, it, it did. You, you know, it, deals with adversity, and yeah, it teaches you so much. I, I wouldn't be in the position I, I am today without you know those struggle, those early struggles. I think what it taught me was this. I don't know that it made me tougher because I quit. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough quit. I quit, but I but I learned soon enough. Why don't you chase the thing that you love and chase yep. it with everything you have? Otherwise, exactly. you're going to be doing this, and it's not going to go well. St. Bonaventure's 5-0. and They are number 16 in both polls. They're at home against Northern Iowa. Their head coach is Mark Schmidt. Mark, great conversation. Great to talk some St. Bonaventure basketball with you, and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. Devin Leary is my guest. Devin, great to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on. Thanks so much. Let me ask you, you beat Syracuse on Saturday in a game where neither team scored in the first 22 minutes, and then you guys scored 28 points in the final six and a half and change in the first half. When you're in the hunt for a conference championship and you're facing a team that's been struggling, how important was it to handle business the way you guys did? Oh, extremely important. I mean... Yeah, we got off to a little slow start offensively, but you know, we we play complementary football all three phases together. Um, you know, we had a special teams kick return, which was awesome. We had a defensive pick six, and then you know the offense just rallied off of that too. So, just being able to handle our business week in and week out is huge for us. You beat me to it. I was going to say you did play complementary football. The offense scored, the defense scored, special teams scored. Generally, good things happen when all three phases play like that, of course. For you personally, it was your fifth straight game with more than 300 yards. In three of your last four games, you've had a completion percentage of 66% or higher. At least from the outside, it feels like you've reached another level in terms of your control and mastery of the offense. Does it feel that way to you? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um you know, this offseason, I took pride in understanding the system, fully mastering the system. And, you know, I just, I just want to get better each and every week. And I feel myself progressively getting better. And, you know, I, I give a ton of credit to Coach Beck and being able to function in his offense and him giving me the ability to, you know, take what the defense gives us. And we've been rolling ever since. Devin Leary is joining us. Devin, how much of that is about trust? You know, like that's a word that's thrown around quite a bit, but when you trust the system, when you trust the receivers, when you trust the offense, when you trust the defense, when you trust what you see with your eyes, how important is that to you? Yeah, it's very important. I just think overall playing the game of football, you know, trust is a huge factor. You, you got to trust your offensive line. The offensive line has to trust you back there. And then you got to trust guys on the perimeter. And then, like you said, all three phases, you got to have trust in each and every guy, whatever position they fill. And, you know, we really embrace that over here. We, we preach next man up mentality. 
Um, so any, any given play, any given moment, that trust is huge for us. Devin Leary is joining us. You know, your journey has been really interesting especially when you consider when you first got there, you had to wait behind the likes of Ryan Finley, then Matt McKay, Bailey Hawkman. A lot of guys might have gotten impatient and started to look elsewhere. What was that time like for you? How did you process that time? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was all a part of the process. You know, everyone's route is different. Everyone's path to their success is different. And, you know, I kind of just had to understand where I was in the moment. Um, I had to control what I could control. And, you know, each and every year I just wanted to get better and better and knew that uh, eventually my, my opportunity would happen, and it was, it was going to be up to me to take advantage of that opportunity, and that's exactly what I did. And, you know, just being able to take it year by year, understanding where I need to get better, where I need to improve, and then eventually earning the coach's trust to put me out there. See, the thing is, I mean, that, let's finish that part of the story. That's exactly what you did. You had to understand that your journey was different. You had to trust that you would get the opportunity, put in the time, stay ready, and then take advantage of it. And this is what you did. For instance, you played a good amount in 2019. Things get thrown off because of COVID. Then you were the starter in 20, but broke your leg in October. So when you go through everything you just laid out and you earn that job and you're putting up numbers, what was it like then to have it ripped from you and have your season end so abruptly? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was tough, definitely. I mean, anytime you suffer from a season-ending injury, it puts things in different perspective. Um, you know, there, there was obviously multiple different options that I was able to take um, after my injury, whether that was sulking and complaining and, you know, not really knowing where to go after it or kind of embracing it, being able to mentally prepare better, being able to control what I could control while being injured. And, you know, I took full advantage of that time not being able to play with my team and I knew as soon as I was able to play back onto the field, I was not going to take anything for granted and earn all my teammates' trust and just understand that I'm here to lead this, these guys. I would imagine, Devin, it's not like something where you'd say, I'm glad it happened, it's a good thing it happened, but you had mentioned Coach Beck. That's Tim Beck, the offensive coordinator. He talks about the fact that he feels like you actually grew exponentially as a leader, even in that time when you weren't able to play following the injury. Do you think, I mean, did you process that and use that time in such a way that you became a better leader, even though you weren't with your teammates at that time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was able, I, I, I was put in a position to, you know, build better relationships with people that I wasn't necessarily coming across as much. Um, you know, being in a long-term injury group, I'm able to, connect with different guys that are suffering from season-ending injuries as well. And then, you know, when you're not playing on the field, you have a different perspective of the game. So you can kind of, you know, become a different coach on the sideline, um, being able to help guys out, whether that's in the film room, whether that's on the field or the practice field. And, um, yeah, I mean, for myself, I just fully embraced film study. That was the biggest thing that I pride myself on this offseason and then being able to take that leadership role of when I came back uh, having all my teammates understand that this means a lot to me and this team means a lot to me. And uh, I want to strive to win each and every day, each and every week. I like it. Devin Leary joining us. You know, when you talk about leadership, I've always personally, Devin, had a fascination with Navy SEALs and what it takes to become an, a SEAL, how to get through that, the mental toughness, the physical toughness, the entire thing. I'm, like, I'm, I'm a voracious reader of that stuff. I love it. I know that you and your teammates went through something called the program, which was led by Navy SEALs. What was that experience like and what was your biggest takeaway from it? Yeah, the experience was great. I mean, we had uh, Jamie Slice come in with his team, uh, like you just said, named the program, former Navy SEALs, 
And they kind of put us through different, you know, training obstacles, different leadership obstacles. And I think the biggest thing for the entire program, what they put us through was putting us in uncomfortable leadership situations. Um, guys that aren't necessarily vocal leaders, putting them in that role to be a vocal leader. And it kind of, you know, you see your teammates kind of step out of their comfort zone and step into a different type of shoes. And, you know, some guys really embraced it and some guys understood that maybe they weren't the type of leader that they thought they were. And, you know, it was just awesome to see different guys step up, different guys, you know, help each other out, put each other on their backs. And us going through all these different obstacles, we really understood that it's truly mind over matter. And as you hear from everyone else, this game of football is a lot more mentally than physically. Devin Leary joining us. No question about that. I, I really believe that myself. Mind over matter for sure. I mean, it's simple but not easy. Simple, but not easy. Really quickly, when you look at the numbers that you've been putting up, your name starts to climb on the list of all-time great quarterbacks in that program. And I'm talking about guys like Philip Rivers, Russell Wilson, and more. What's it feel like to hear your name mentioned alongside theirs? Yeah, I think it's an honor. You know, when you when a quarterback wants to come to NC State, they understand that there's been a legacy built here. Guys like Russell Wilson, Philip Rivers, Ryan Finley, Jacoby Brissett. I mean, the list goes on. Mike Glennon. Um, you kind of understand that this is the tradition. That's what's expected here. And just to hear my name around those guys and understand that my hard work is paying off a lot, it's a true honor. Now, coaches and your teammates seem pretty irritated and pretty put off when you were not named a Davey O'Brien Award semifinalist. One teammate called it, quote, ridiculous. Coach Doran said, quote, that's disrespectful. People need to do their homework before putting names on lists, end of quote. Look, I know you're not in it for the personal awards, but what's it mean to you to have everybody around you as put off by it as they were and that they have your back the way they do? Yeah, I mean, just being able to hear that from my coaches and teammates, I mean, it's awesome being a player here. You know, that's what you want. That You want the respect, especially coming out of your play, but just also as a person. And, I mean, everyone around me, everyone in this facility, everyone on this team knows how much work and how much this game really means to me. And for them, you know, to vouch for me like that, I mean, it's huge. It's, it's, it's awesome for me to hear. But, you know, me being the player that I am and how I've always been, those, those type of things, those type of accolades don't, motivate me I have my own self-motivation what I really truly play for and I just let all the accolades and awards handle themselves Devin what is it so like what are you playing for what is your motivation your self-motivation what are the things that matter to you most yeah uh the, the thing that matters for me most is just striving for greatness striving for excellence I want every single day to be as best as I possibly can and if it's not I want to understand where I went wrong where I made the mistakes and how fastly I can correct them and, I mean, all my teammates and my coaches know that, you know, I, I love to strive for excellence. I love to strive for greatness. And my biggest priority is winning. And I'll do anything for this team, anything for this program to win. And that's how I've always been my whole life. Devin Leary joining us. All right, so one last thought. You've got a great, great opportunity coming up as a result of the win over Syracuse. You still have a look at the division championship. What is your mindset going into Friday's game against North Carolina? Yes, sir. They're a great team. I think we have to come out fast. we got to understand our assignments. Everyone has to execute their job, and it's going to be a four-quarter game. I think just going into the game, understanding that it's going to be four quarters, and we got to play from start to finish. And all of our focus has to be on this Friday and let everything else handle itself after that. So I'm very excited for this game, excited for the opportunity, and it's going to be a great environment. 
going to be tremendous. I love that game. North Carolina at NC State Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. He is in the top 15 in country in passing yardage and TDs, having a huge year. Devin Leary is the quarterback at NC State. Devin, really appreciate that. Great conversation. Good luck this weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Time now for pregame HQ delivered by Domino's. And for more on Mahomes and his upcoming battle with the Cowboys, let's throw it to our guy who always brings the heat, Jim Rohn. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's cracking? Welcome to the jungle. Monday, Decca, yeah. Why the hell not? Coming off a great weekend where I went to New York and back. It is a short week. We've got a ton to get done. I've got a jam five days into three days. So let's get it. Tannehill fires and it's intercepted. Freaking Titans. 7-0 against playoff teams and 0-1 against the bleeping Texans. Because that makes so much sense. Ross Tucker's joining us. Why don't we start with Seattle? Let's say you're looking for a quarterback and you can trade for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. Hey, Seattle. You tell me who you're trying. The guy that's been squeaky clean, the way he does everything, he's probably got 10 years left. We got a deal. Bill's Mafia. You know how I feel about you, but Indy came into your house. They ate your food. They drank your beer. They put their feet up on your furniture and did other unmentionable things. Paul in Sacramento. Top of the morning to you, buddy. The punk ward needs to check in with the pimp in the box every now and then. Good gloss. How did you get that? What does that mean? Listen, bro, that is an old moniker. That That's my moniker. And friends when we were younger. I don't want to say that hurt me more than that hurt you, but that hurt me about as much as it hurt you. And it's almost like they killed me. Dietrich, Wise Jr. is my guest. Judon, I thought, had one of the best lines of the year. We kind of want to be a-holes on the field. But good guys off the field. Playing hard within the whistle, letting them know we're here to play. Dominating the person in front of you every single play. Straight up, G's getting away. Opening up by two with the eight Congratulations. Bowl. Oh, my God. You think that he could handle open competition if we get that far? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, look at him. Look at him run. Look at those ears. Pin back. DJ Humphrey's joining us. What's it been like having Rodney Hudson? Oh, my goodness. That's another one of those people that are just like putting yourself around good people that are just helping you evolve yourself. All I do is block the end until Rodney tells me otherwise. It doesn't mean that I want to have S with him. Why, you think you're better than me? Am I not your type? What's up, man? Bad news, bro. You're lost because this freaking locomotive has left the station. Here's Daniel Jones. Just threw it right to the Buccaneers. Keep this clown show off my TV so I don't need to start another Tuesday with this same take again on this show. You're taking years off my life. Uh, we didn't do anything really well enough to win the game tonight. If you're firing a coordinator after 26 games, you made the wrong hire in the first place. And throwing this body overboard doesn't change a thing. The clapper. It's like you got your buddy there. You're taking a run at me for liking dogs. Oh, right, so I got a dog. You're a cat guy, aren't you, Radio Man? There's a word they used to describe people like you, Radio Man. Bitch. Bitch. Yeah. Bitch. You can kiss the starch on his product. Starch me up. Malcolm, have you and I ever actually spoken? Have you ever been on this show before? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I have. I, yeah, yeah, I have. My man, Malcolm Smith. Dude, dude. Alvin just hit me with quote. No, no. Agree to disagree, Malcolm. You've never been on the show. He said he had. Wrong. Now, I know better than to call the greatest talk show in the history of sports to question the pimp into the box's judgment, but how the heck are we not going to have me, the chicken man, on a self-gloss reel because of some technicality. Give me back my gloss and don't be a silly rabbit, Alby. You already have enough rabbit tendencies as it is if you catch my drift. Really appreciate the visit, as always, Ben. It's my pleasure. Hey, real quick request.
Yes, Jim. I need yep. to cash in all my jungle karma. Jungle I need karma. a win for University of Michigan against Ohio State Saturday. I know that's a big request. All right, Ben. I don't know that I can sign off on that one. Mark Schmidt is my guest. There was a point in time where you got into selling health and beauty products in Massachusetts. <laughs> I sold Bayer aspirin. And everything was like, as a salesman, you're trying to reach a quota and all that stuff. What's your beef? Roast turkey is not good. You never go to a restaurant and say, I'll have the turkey. How about when you go to the mall three times a week? You know, if Trapper were alive today, you'd probably be saying, Jim, Jim, little help down here. Was that Trapper calling from the afterlife? What was that? Hello. Happy thanks for giving a hand in the kitchen. People telling me when to put my Christmas decorations up, and I may leave them up until February. Blood pouring down the face of Isaiah Stewart. Straight up, G. Gonna win by about six. Always a pleasure being here. That their season was already over without him, JB. All right, Jim. Thank you so much, buddy. Buddy! Always, Rome. I appreciate you having me, man. You will cry. You will win. You know why? Mike Glennon. Hey, man. Appreciate you, Rome. Have a good Thanksgiving. And unwar bad decisions. If it works for you. Happy Thanksgiving. Good night now! Good night now!